0: Media.
1: Totally Football Show, European edition. As the terraces across Europe stay packed, with neighbours doing sing-along and and Dorma, we're out on our metaphorical balcony to field your questions, talk a bit of Alan Pardew, and discuss the first ever Champions League final and the team that brought shame on the European game even though they weren't Italian. All that and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. going to reassure Skin Deep, Little Kim, and the whole R&B community that there is no more playing for the moment. From Munich to Monaco, they've hung up their shooting boots. It is Frontier Sans Jou. Uh, James Horncastle, Julian Laurent, and Raphael Honigstein are here with Hello. us. Hi, brothers. Hello. How are you doing, Jules?
2: I'm good, thank you. And you?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm pretty well. James, how are you feeling? This is from Aniket. Aniket writes in and says, how is James feeling after his Wednesday night Champions League predictions? Oh, yeah. It feels like an awful long time ago Doesn't right now. it, though? Doesn't yeah. It? You said Atletico would go through against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And you also said the PSG would be fine against Borussia Dortmund. I did. I did say that. Yeah. Bingo. Which after my Atlanta group stage, I That's mean. That's right. You oh also, gosh. yeah. We had another question actually asking when and where you're going to be having your celebratory dinner. You know, as, as soon as possible and socially responsible as well mm.
2: well deserved as well well deserved well done mm. uh, just is
3: only saying that cuz i predicted psg to go get through
1: in.
2: And- yeah yeah if you mention yeah. it yeah
1: yeah and uh oh righty
2: well They're i so you-
0: likeable in the
2: in the win who trolled first Such nice people who trolled first don't troll if you don't want to get trolled back wise words jose <laughs> let's uh, let's
1: start off in traditional fashion with a quick roundup of the headlines Italy suspended all football last Wednesday. Spain followed suit on Thursday. France did the same on Friday morning. And Germany suspended all football on Friday afternoon. We chilled on Sunday. (laughs) Rafa, why why did Germany leave it so late?
0: Germany thought that they could stage the whole programme for the weekend behind closed doors. Things only really changed when the Paderborn coach, Stefan Baumgart, Paderborn was supposed to play on Friday night, was suddenly um, suspected of having contracted the virus, was tested. Actually, the test result came back negative. But while this was going on, the um, municipality of Bremen also decided themselves they were going to call off the game, um, I think against Leverkusen, because they said they cannot guarantee um, the avoidance of scenes that we had seen, for example, in Paris and in, in uh Gladbach with fans congregating outside the stadium Uh, they saw that as a health risk and uh, made the decision unilaterally and uh, the league having decided within the space of like a few hours that the games were all going to be on then did an abrupt U-turn and uh, called them off also uh, in response I guess to a lot of players. Um, voicing their unease and Thiago Mm. being very critical and even addressing the DFL in his first tweet then it was deleted the DFL um, the Bundesliga at Twitter tag was taken out but uh, he was very unhappy and uh, many players were too
1: Similar timing to the Premier League of course with Arteta on Thursday night and then suddenly it's all off UEFA meeting Tuesday afternoon uh, virtually at least with a lot of people suggesting that a European Championships in December 2020 is going to be the first step in their solution. Brilliant, no?
2: Brilliant in the sense that... I think, no,
1: I think that'd be exciting. You'd enjoy, yeah,
2: maybe. It Christmas could be there. It could be as well in January, February. So when mm-hmm. some players are in the Africa Cup of Nations, yeah. then the others play the Euro as well. Or... The following summer, summer 2021, but Mm. it will certainly be postponed for sure.
1: Okay. Uh, Many unknowns, many known unknowns. In the meantime, is everyone else uh, getting as worked up about completing the season in other countries like France, Germany, as they are here? Yeah.
0: There was a big meeting on Monday afternoon uh, from the 36 Bundesliga clubs. And while they didn't come up with any firm decision, any firm solution, um, they made it very clear that A, it's not realistic. Uh, to assume that games will be back on in April. They don't see that as a realistic timescale. So they will reconvene at the end of March to make another assessment. But according to Christian Seifert, the CEO of the league, he thinks that having ghost games, games behind closed doors, as we call them in Germany, will be the only way to ensure that the season will be finished. And finishing the season is absolutely imperative as far as the financial survival is concerned in the bundesliga all 36 clubs from bundesliga one and two share the tv package that's why it's perhaps a slightly more acute problem than it compared to the premier league where it's only the top 20 teams that are hugely affected uh, in terms of the premier league not being in the bundesliga the effect is more keenly felt immediately for the smaller clubs and uh, they don't think that is viable if the uh, tv companies basically don't pay the next um I think it's just under 100 million euros that they were due to pay at the end of March for the next um, staggered rights. And without that money,
1: there'll be problems. TV companies who have got their own issues right now, Andy Dawson pointing out, not saying BT Sport is struggling to fill their schedules, but Tuesday morning featured not only 2019 classic Tetris World Cup episode 12 Even to be fair I'd watch that yeah me too I checked it genuinely is on And Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest again I'd watch that in fact I think those two things <laughs> right okay. say, in some respects more some, appealing than some Premier League games. right BT sport ESPN is, is the place to yeah. find that Greg Stevenson asks, do the guys have any insight in what it's like for foreign players in the UK witnessing vastly different measures uh, to those in their home countries Jules are, are there, a lot of the foreign players from Premier League sites have they gone home or are they here and kind of just standing by
2: they're here they're here they I, I don't think their clubs would allow them to to move and especially moving countries if you're Italian, Spanish or French mm. where it's actually worse than it is currently here. So it would be crazy to say to someone, yeah, yeah, go home and see your family or whatever and go into a more infected area of Europe. So they're all staying put. Pro- I mean, at least the one I know working on their own in their you know, own gym or the garden or whatever and trying to stay as fit as they can. They can't work too hard because they don't want their immune system to be weakened. That's why the clubs are saying to them, you can't, go too crazy on your fitness work but you need to to try to stay as much as you can because there might be a point where you would have to go back in the season and it right. would be very hard for them fitness wise to go back into the rhythm
3: curious what's happened to players who moved in January and who haven't got an apartment or haven't yeah, found place to live yet and have been kind of living in hotels you look at what's happened to Christian Eriksen who's basically been in a hotel in Milan for the last few weeks that hotel has closed and he's now living at the training ground, a piano gentile, which in terms of keeping fit and that sort of thing, Perfect. it's better than yeah, some yeah. of the other interplayers mm-hmm. who live in apartment blocks. Um, they either have a condominium gym, which they can't use because they don't know about the the safety of it, the hygiene of it. So all those kind of things come into mind, like Maya Yoshida, for example, who went to Sampdoria, not allowed to kind of leave Italy, not so he can't go and see his family. All these kind of things that you um, kind of lose sight of and, and, and overlook when, when a crisis like this
2: strikes. I mean, Cristiano was lucky in a way to be able to go to Madeira where there's no cases. So yeah. it's probably, it's re, it looks safe right now on paper, but, you know, at least he's with his family and stuff and like a lot of
1: others. Wonder well, how Alan Pardew doing in the Eredivisie. Is he in lockdown <laughs> somewhere in
2: The Hague?
1: I think, I think Lockdown
2: we, in The Hague yeah, I, mean, I mean Not I that think, kind of lockdown Well I think the club's um, ultras Would rather him Being in lockdown <laughs> Well uh, Up
1: next Actually let's find out The latest on Parts And uh, Chris Powell As we dial up Mikael Jungsma To hear about the Eredivisie. Are they playing there? Of course not
4: You're listening to The Totally Football Show In association With Paddy Power
1: Alright Joining us now On the line Is Mikael Jungsma Of Opta Johan All the way From the Netherlands Hi Mikael Hey, James, how are you? I'm very well. How's everything going with you? I hear there were exciting lockdown scenes. Were you involved in this rush for the coffee shops?
4: No, I wasn't, but there there were actual uh, lines for the coffee shops here for people to get their last bit of, of weed and hash and all that kind of stuff. The hospitality businesses were closed down basically within 40 minutes yesterday, which was quite, quite unheard of. And today there are actually calls from... Uh, mayors of cities and from uh, owners of coffee shops to at least get a some kind of takeaway policy for for their clients because otherwise they're afraid of some more illegal drug trafficking going on in the streets well, yeah. which are completely empty so i mean on the other hand they're easy to spot because the drug traffickers are out there and no one else is that's true
1: in the meantime the football's been suspended in an incredibly uh, suspenseful uh, moment with the the top two ajax and uh, RZ uh, level, very much down the other end. We kind of wanted to ask you about Alan Pardew uh, at Den Haag. Uh, Given the hiatus, a chance to reflect on his first, what, 100 days in charge. How much of a success has it been, Michaela?
4: Well, it started out really well. And everyone, uh, both in the UK and in the Netherlands, were just really surprised that he took on a job such as the out-of-den-Hague one. He started out with a win against uh, bottom team Erika Seyvalveig. Uh, so everything looked really well, but from that point on, things kind of escalated uh, in a negative fashion because uh, they've hardly picked up any points since. Um, and uh, well, Aden Haag isn't the most um, stable club anyway. So uh, yeah, and in in the end, people were first first kind of happy to see him there. Now a, a bit more mixed in their reactions towards him.
1: Uh, Sure, they're winless now in seven games, seven points from safety. The most recent result, a 4-0 defeat by RZ. But as as you say, they weren't doing particularly well before he arrived anyway, which is why they made the change mid-season. So how much of this is his responsibility, would you say?
4: Well, the brand of football that he has adapted since he came in has been kind of negative. So in in that sense, uh, that's been the main reason that he got... Quite a lot of flack and uh, as you say before before he came in they, they didn't do well either but um, I don't think uh, the people at Out Den Haag at that point were particularly worried uh, Alphonse Groenendijk, former Manchester City player, um, was their head coach and he was he was quite popular but uh, yeah, the club itself has been uh, in a bit of a turmoil recently anyway in the last few years because they've been uh, taken over by a Chinese uh, group called the United Fans and are now new rumors of of uh, new takeovers, investments and everything. And it basically has been like that for quite some time. And Alan Pardew, when he came in, he he, he dropped some some of the players that had been brought in that summer. He he, he has, has brought in quite a British contingent as well, but only one of them is actually starting games uh, as it is. And he's quite uh, fickle in, in, in terms of tactics that he has uh, adopted as well. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's not... He's not the most popular man in town, but right. I mean, given the his history in the UK, I think he's quite used to that anyway. So.
1: Mikhail, there was a, a lot of notice paid uh, to the welcome uh, that you mentioned that the fans gave uh, Alan and, and Chris Powell with the Ghostbusters "Who Are You Going to Call?" Pardieu and, and Power banners. Although I, I understand the Telegraph was less enthusiastic, describing him as a narcissist from Wimbledon uh, when he arrived. <laughs> yeah, but but more recently, then uh, disgruntled fans. Kind of invaded the training camp with a kind of flipboard and gave a bit of a tactical lesson. Was that their attempt to get Pardue back on track? And how well did it have any impact on 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 him and the team's performances?
4: Well, he, he himself was quite surprised by that, um, uh, as he should. And out of Den Haag in general are their fans are known for being a bit well. I would I would say goofy. Like they they like to. To throw in a, an odd joke here and there, and this this is kind of up their street. Alan Pardew wasn't amused at all, so I don't think it has helped at all. And he himself said, "Well, we've just had quite a decent well, performance, or at least they gained a point against Fain, which is uh, respectable for them." Why are the fans uh, barging in on a training session like this at this point? And I think I think he has underestimated how difficult the club it is i think he has underestimated also what his profile is in in this country um and i mean he he doesn't seem willing to give up which which i think is quite quite brave but yeah it's 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 going to be a, a really real difficult challenge to get everything back on track because it's not like the fixture list is very kind to him mm. uh, one small point i must say in his defense it, it is kind of unlucky this is the first season where we see two teams from the Eredivisie relegate directly rather than in the playoffs. So, I mean, if it, if he was in that position last season, it would have been fine. But yeah, for this season, it really looks like, a, like a, a difficult jam to get out of.
1: Right. They can pick up any points they can wherever they can. Like the residents of Amsterdam, desperate to get their hands on any draw uh, at the moment. Uh, Michael, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. And, and as soon as things get back up and running any day now, it'd be great to uh, get some more updates. Okay, cheers. Cool. Take care, guys. Apropos of the narcissist from Wimbledon, uh, Berto says, I'd like to know if there's been a worse managerial spill ever than Pardue's at West Brom, which featured, uh, you'll no doubt recall, Taxigate in Barcelona. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where four. West Brom squad members uh, basically got arrested for stealing a taxi. Players furious, this from Berto, at the lack of any tactical preparation for games and only one league win in the entire 18-game
2: spell. Can you think of one, Jules? Um, we had this season Antoine area at Toulouse okay. who took the job and Stein saying in his uh, press conference, his first press conference, saying I haven't watched uh, football in the last six months. I like it. And
1: how did it work out for him at
2: Toulouse? Uh, one win, Ten defeats, uh, including one against a fourth division uh, team.
1: I think Berto's point, though, that it's not just the terrible results. It's the fact this kind of complete dereliction of, of kind of leadership with, with players.
2: Yeah, no, I, no, we never had Taxi Gate and, and things like that. This right. is probably, in, in recent years, I think this has to be one of the, the worst that we've had.
1: Germany, Rafa? Well,
0: I mean, this season, Jürgen Klinsmann um, <laughs> had a pretty, pretty devastating impact. Yeah, I mean, he did true. actually win a few points. And those points might make the difference for Hatter as far as not going down is concerned. This the course, club to spend a lot of money? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there was some there was some collateral damage, uh, shall we say, not least to his own reputation. Indeed. Um, so yeah.
1: Hmm. Anyone in Italy, James?
2: Surely you've got millions.
1: No, I don't know. I think well, t- managers tend mean? to be pretty serious in. Uh I mean, there are lots of managers
3: who've come in mid-season and lost five games in a uh, row. Silvia
1: Baldini kicking other managers up the bar. <laughs> yeah. That was fun.
3: Yeah, Baldini, the Bielsa of Italian football, Yeah, who's now coaching Caradese for free. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, people like Malisani, who, yeah, you know. Hey, there's a Galazzo all about him. Yeah. Jules, later on, looking forward to you telling us some more treasured memories, this time involving the first ever Champions League final. It and uh, a bit of scandal in there. Oh,
2: a bit of dana tapi in there, yeah. Woof.
1: But uh, next up, a couple of really special questions.
0: I'm José Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Finding pastel denatas in a London cafe? Special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special.
1: Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average forty thousand pound jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T and C's at paddypower.com. 18+ b
4: On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
1: Joe. Hello, Joe. Ask who's the best flawed footballer from your various leagues. I'm referring, says Joe, to players like Berbatov, Cassano, Özil, and Raikelme. All the talent, but none of the discipline. I think you're lumping in a lot of different elements there, Joe. But I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, if we were restricted to the kind of the Casanos of this world, you know, those players whose instincts lead them to never quite live up to their ordering their donuts up to the hotel room. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, Mario Basler, I would say, would would feature quite highly because right. he was a guy who was supremely talented, mm. but didn't quite live the professional lifestyle that um, I think got the most out of his talents.
1: What kind of thing did he get up to then, Rafa?
0: I think it was just there was a time in the mid to late '90s where football was very modern, but I think the behaviour of the players hadn't quite caught up with that yet, at least in some clubs. And he would go out, he would. Get involved uh, in some arguments in a pizza restaurant, and you know, I mean, we're not talking about big sort of scandals, but just like general kind of a sense of, you know, smoking, drinking, doing all the stuff that I think back in the day was probably considered normal, but I think was beginning to be phased out at that time as footballs got much more athletic and and demanding on the players, and unfortunately, he didn't he didn't keep up, and I think he would have been a real superstar in, in 2020 if he had behaved uh, that way off the pitch
1: right Jules I'm pretty sure I remember a uh, French journalist telling me all the the secrets of Emmanuel Adebayor's extraordinary lifestyle in, in, <laughs> in Hampstead
2: yeah I mean the best story about Adebayor is that and one of the best I think is that he was sleeping in his, in his own Arsenal shirt <laughs> which I think is pretty special that you not, one is not very I think comfortable to sleep in in a football shirt right even less when it's your own and you just, I guess, love yourself so much that you go to bed with it. But I would go with, with Atem Benalfa okay. talking about the French, the, the, those floats because I think he was an absolute genius of a player. But a bit like Basler and a bit like others that we mentioned, Cassano and the others, was just not up to scratch in terms of how he would live his life. The, on the pitch, he would just do whatever... Was coming through his head, and often that was trying to not make someone and dribble past five players and then scoring the the goal of the season already. Mm. And he did that many times, that's that's why it's incredible. But for the rest, between fights with Olaz uh, when he was at Lyon, between um, you know, argument on the national team, he just should have had a career much better than the one he had. Could also mention uh,
0: Stefan Effenberg, yeah, um, famous for the the middle finger, uh, which got him banned from the German national team uh, at a time where he could have been really the best player in Germany. Uh, again, mid-90s. Um, also, going back a little bit further, Bernd Schuster. Right. Um, Bernd Schuster was, was a genius. Um, played most of his uh, professional career in Spain at a time when playing abroad was considered a real detrimental factor to being a German national player. Um, there was almost kind of an unofficial ban on players being abroad as far as eligibility was concerned. He famously, or his, his, his wife, who was the agent, famously asked for a lot of money to come back into the team. And uh, Germany said no, which is why we never saw him uh, at the uh, 82 or even 86 World Cup. And uh, it's a real shame because he would have been sensational, I think.
3: He, part he, of the Fiorentina team that got relegated, mm, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Late on, yeah. Late in 93? Sort of, yeah. yeah. He was yeah this ninety-two, ninety-three the
2: twilight yeah. of his career yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but even, even Ravel before, Morrison can we have him yeah just before James mentioned it even Eric Cantona the French side of his career was a disaster for the talent that he had at a very young age mm. the fact that no one wanted him before he left to, to England and he had wasted all those years and all that talent by being completely crazy is is, is one of those as well I
1: think. All right, James do you want to pitch him one here
3: well, he we did a golazo on Adriano. Oh, yeah. I think Adriano's a special case. Cassano
1: um, being there as well. I mean, he'd Cassano be the, probably is the ultimate.
3: Super Mario at the moment. Oh, yeah. Still going. Balotelli. Yeah. There's all mm-hmm. kinds from back in the day.
1: Oh, Alvaro writes in and says Diego Tristan and Zaragoza are his choices. Okay. Oh, Saragossa's for our next question. Right. Yes. I understand why. I thought he written the entire team off <laughs> Right. Uh, this is from Sam Bryan. who says, Which fallen giant from your respective nations would you buy and restore to former glory years? What a lovely question, mm. Sam Bryan. So which one are you having, Rafa?
0: Well, you recall earlier this season, James, uh, we were kindly um, sponsored by a football manager... Yes. And, yeah. uh, of course, there was an option Hamburg. to take over Hamburg. Oh, nice. And I think that was wisely chosen because they are indeed, I think, the number one sexiest but at the same time sort of nuttiest project you'd like to right. To take over. It's kind well,
1: of... How much would it cost? To buy them? hmm
0: Well, they have a lot of debt, so you'd have to <laughs> pick up the debt as well. Right. You um, we could
1: leverage that, I mean, surely. Yeah, Isn't that maybe, what you do? I
0: mean, they, they are sort of the... The femme fatale that you think you might be the one to tame them. I'm not saying me, (laughs) but... I love that. But uh, a lot of people have tried and failed in recent years. And it might not go up again this year, which would be a real blow.
2: No one might do anything this year. But yeah, okay, Jules... I'll probably go for Stade de Reims, although they're in the top flight now and they're having a, a, a good season. Right. It's not as big as they were in the 50s when they were reaching European Cup finals against Real Madrid when they had players like Raymond Coppa who you know, won the Ballon d'Or then, uh, and they were really the biggest team in, in in France and one of the biggest in Europe. They've fallen, they almost went completely bankrupt, so in a way they did, and they came back from from nowhere. And now it's good to see them established again in the top flight. But yeah, I would I would go over there and make them a giant club again. Nice. What
3: about you, James? Well the obvious one is is Milan. Oh. But the the thing is, even though they've got good owners who are pumping lots of money in, with FFP, you're limited in what you can do. But from a romantic side, I would actually choose the David that became a Goliath in the nineties, which is Parma.
2: Oh right. Oh yeah. That would be lovely. Yeah.
3: Um because I think people still have a great fondness, affection for that club. Right. And to see it kind of ran well but with this kind of same money kind of being pumped into it we're talking about outside of the ffp paradigm right it would just be magnificent i think yeah. To a yeah. tansy on them, I get Tino Espria as yeah. my kind of club ambassador. That'd
1: be incredible, he would and be amazing. They're, yeah. they're I imagine win. him like flavor flavour with a giant clock around his neck. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, they're we they're
3: would good. have his um, his condom brand would be one of the um, sponsors on the on the you know, when when you do the flash interview, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: on yeah, the, back drop, you, yeah, the, back the backdrop, the backdrop. That would be good. Maybe this time amazing. they could win
2: titles without cheating, and as well. we that would, would what the hell?
1: Uh, come on, the Marseille
2: final, the the what was wrong with that? Well, I think there's a few transfusions at some point before the game. Clearly,
3: I'd also get Tino to uh, before the game, right, um, to ride around the right. stadium on a horse in a Barney, <laughs> yeah, in a Barney outfit. <laughs> Barney outfit. I, I think would be I'm
1: magnificent. I'm still agog at the notion of Jules complaining about well, Italian okay. sides with transfusions <laughs> yeah, in European yeah, yeah. Finals, that's the European so. finals.
2: Yeah, that's the fact. We're going to get you on. You know, to. Horncastle, yeah. oh, Tino as well. Okay, that's next the, week.
1: I think you you win From Jules. Jules. Yeah. Tino's brilliant sporting director. Thank you. Ka-ching. All right. Dean Brown says, best football films or docs to watch over the next few weeks. Well, Nick Miller has just put together a page for our Totally Football Show website with YouTube highlights of every single European Cup and Champions League final ever. Uh, so that's, I think that's going to be out on Tuesdays. That's pretty special. Yeah. I know that uh, Daniel Story has done a fantastic piece as well uh, with loads of different links to documentaries and stuff. But excitingly, Rafa... Um, we are going to be inaugurating on Thursday our very own Flicks and kicks football film club where we'll be kind of questing for the perfect football film yeah. over, oh, wow. and I hope you listener will be joining us on that quest Boxing has rocky baseball has field of dreams Jamaican Bobsleigh has cool runnings Why can't football, <laughs> football has have an iconic yeah, good
2: one two and three.
1: Yeah, well... (laughs) I once
2: saw one of them on the plane.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Exactly.
3: Beckham's cameo is quite something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We'll start our search Mm. with Green Street. Elijah Wood and John Favreau do hooligans. My name is Matt Buckner.
0: Last spring, I got kicked out of Harvard two months shy of my diploma.
1: But what I was about to learn, no Ivy League school in the world could teach me. Yep. A Cockney accent. (laughs) It's brilliant. The whole thing is on YouTube. Uh, search Green Street Hooligans, which was the American title for this picture. And then send us your thoughts, listeners, on Green Street, brackets, Hooligans, for Thursday's show. Fantastic. Rafford. did you have a, a top football film or documentary you wanted to suggest for uh, Dean Brown?
0: The um, This Is Football series on Amazon is very yeah. good. Oh, yeah? What's yeah. that? Um, it's a number of unconnected uh, features one is, for example, on football in Rwanda and the uh, role it played to bring the two fighting tribes back together. Mm-hmm. One is on the importance of chance in game. Chance? Uh, yeah, chance.
1: As in chances in things you sing or fortune? Fortune. Fortune, yeah, oh, chance. Right.
0: Okay. Um, explained in relation to the 2012 final and the 1999 final. And um, and also the German Cup final in 2018, the 1999
1: final. What was their conclusion about chance on that one?
0: Uh, well, Colina is on it. It's quite good, actually. Is he? Yeah, drinking an espresso very stylishly, as you as you can imagine. And there's a there's a contributor from the totally football. pot is on it as well, with, with Munich connections. <laughs> really? Self promotion
1: yeah. never stops. <laughs> that does, I have to say that does sound now. Really it is very interesting. Good. It is very good. And where would you find that Carnison. on Amazon?
0: Yeah, and there's one on Messi. There's six in total, yeah. and they're all very good. Okay, that sounds Super great. Super lavish production values, drones flying over cities and stuff.
1: Oh, wow. Pulled yeah. out all the stops. James, of course, for you, it's Love is Blind. And, uh, <laughs> yes, it still is. Jules, anything you'd recommend? Watch it with Mrs. Yeah, Onystein. I mean,
2: all the recent ones, the, the Madonna documentary in Mexico mm. is brilliant. The one on Leeds, I thought, is really good. The one on Sunderland. But nothing can be the 2012 being Liverpool. Uh, with Brendan Rogers, <laughs> which I think was the first one really of its kind. Mm-hmm. And if you can rewatch it, I mean, the envelopes, every, everything. Brendan Rogers is his best. Is that on Netflix? I don't. So it was on Channel 5, wasn't it, in this country? And on Fox, I guess, in the US? But I'm sure I don't know I'm you'd sure find, you can it. find it. Yeah. I think,
3: think Liverpool it. have burnt all the
2: tapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brendan Rogers moved <laughs> all <the> tapes, <laughs> So no one could move them. Again. Um, but yeah, I
0: mean, Maradona is probably the ultimate yeah. football Yeah, it has to it's be. Much. Watched. As if Kapadia at his mm. best.
1: All right, then. Lots of good things out, there. We'll have more suggestions as the pods go by. And next up, though, it's time for a little bit more zombie football.
0: I'm José Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Tall Swedish strikers with little ponytails? Special. Winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special
1: understood Jose yes someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day so if you win don't think you're special Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games Ts and C's at paddypower.com 18plusbgumballaware.org
4: You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson Zombie football.
1: That's right, everybody. Zombie football digging up classic moments from uh, long dead seasons, reanimating some golden moments that have got buried under all the new stuff. That music can mean only one thing. Actually it can mean it because it's James Horncastle's ringtone.
2: Yeah, favourite song. He had it at his wedding. Do you remember that?
1: But in this case it means we're going back to 1993. Jules, when you were... How old were you? 1993? Right. You were unlimited I was unlimited indeed, yeah. As you romped around the streets of Paris... Indeed. Now, also going on in 1993 was the first and still only European Cup won by a French team.
2: Indeed. Olympique de Marseille against AC Milan in Munich in the final in May 1993.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, were you there, Rev? The problem is I can't remember.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um all i remember is that a friend of mine had two tickets right and tried to sell them and it was a whole odyssey this is before the internet before you know uh, he went to lots of uh, hotels in munich and tried to do deals for the concierge um it was a whole thing and in the end i don't know if i went or not i just remember the, the final being very very boring
1: wow well, you're gonna love well, this next bit hang tight <laughs> <laughs> I mean, boring, but not for France, eh? How, how excited know. was the country ab- about I this I mean, Jules was thrilled. Yeah. I mean, as a not
2: born and
3: bred Marseille code. fan.
2: <laughs> not in my <laughs> area, codes. I mean, I, we had a few Italians in our, in our neighbourhoods and they had all the flags and the Milan flags outside their windows and everything, so we were rooting for them, especially us as, as PSG fans. No, but, but the country was, was big. Marseille was so big at the time. Right. Tapi was so big as well, let's yeah. not forget. He was such a a huge figure, not just in French football, but in French politics at the time, on television. He was everywhere all the time. He was so. the
3: Berlusconi who got busted. Exactly.
2: No, <laughs> but it's true. And I, I don't think he would argue with that. And him being compared to Berlusconi, I think would suit him anyway, mm. whether he got busted or not. But so it was a really big time and, and it looked like finally France would be recognized as one of, you know, top countries of football because... And, and, <laughs> <laughs> Why do you
3: love it? No, in terms of club football, I think you yeah, mean it. Yeah,
2: in terms of, you know, as long as one of your clubs doesn't want it, it's, right. you don't really belong. Yep. In
3: Farmers League.
1: Football, of course, multiple world titles and European titles, uh, you've got nothing to prove there. No, so. no, no, no. But, the curious, thing but about this, the curious thing about this match in 1993 was that it pitted the, the Berlusconi who got busted and the Berlusconi who hasn't quite been <laughs> against each other in one European final. Now, there was previous... Uh, in 1990 91, mm-hmm. Milan, who'd won back to back European titles, met Marseille in the quarterfinals, yes, wasn't it? That's right. And uh, that was, I mean, that Milan team was something we've talked about them again in Golad, so one of the all time greats managed by Arrigo Sacchi. But Marseille as well had a pretty special lineup.
2: Yes, it was fantastic. I mean, Jean Pierre Papin was obviously leading the lineup front, and, and Chris Waddle, who just what? arrived from Spurs. Magic Chris Magic Chris, who right. scored a wonderful volley. Uh, not remembering it because he just got a knock on the head and he was actually dizzy when the ball arrives and he he doesn't even remember how he scored that goal he just can remember he scores
3: it with one of the things that Jules loves his weaker foot and all of their front three uh, are involved in that move in some way or another. Abedi Pelé, Papa, right, yeah. and, then, uh, and, then, and then Magic and then Chris. Then Magic Chris.
1: Wadel Abdi Pelé, who of course is still very much uh, a presence in our football with his sons Jordan and Andre Ayu. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. indeed.
0: The story goes that he turned up playing for 1860 Munich, as you know.
1: Is this Abdi Pelé? His, yeah, yeah,
0: in his later, uh, later stages of his career. And um, apparently they had told him you were signing for Munich. And he thought he's he's going to buy him. (laughs) <laughs> but he decided to it I think this is
3: this was the case with Stefan Mbir as well, was it? But yeah, yeah, he was yeah. like, You're going to Rangers. And he's yeah. like, oh, Rangers, big club. Basil Bolli used
1: to play there. Yeah. And then he turned he's at like, QPR. Right, he's like, right. Abdi the Palais also turned up at Torino uh, later on. It was a lovely chat. We actually got, had a chance to meet him oh, really? there, but I wonder if he um, possibly was, you know, had, thought he was <laughs> definitely <laughs> with the other cheering <laughs> clubs. <anyway. laughs> no, he thought he got uh, an interview with Channel 4 in France or something.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, now uh, maybe maybe the 91 team that then yeah, lost in the final on penalties to Red Star was yeah. better than the 93 team that, that beat Milan in the final this time because that and didn't it. have Chris Waddle and... no no then Alain Bocic, for example yeah. Papin and Waddle had left Bocic and yeah,
3: Cardboard boxage
2: and uh, <laughs> Rudy Fowler was there as well in, yeah. that, in that team uh, and others but maybe 91 is better than 93 alright
1: and also I mean Chris Waddle it's not just the goals the, the cultural impact that he had on French society
2: was Pretty huge, you Jules? Huge, especially with that one song that everybody still remembers. What song's song that, Jules? The one with Basil Bolli.
3: Hello, Chris, Sacré-British, tu l'air en fou, il comprend rien du tout. Tu fais des zics, tu fais des actes, à gauche, à droite, comment tu fais tout ça? Well, Basil, to tell the truth, in my cradle, in my
1: early youth, I kicked that punch, my rubber balls, with great emotions, I recall.
2: To be fair, that's really bad, George. It is really bad. They, they did sell a few, though. They did, did they? sell a few. Yeah, yeah. In terms of worst or best it, yeah. song by football players, it has to be well, it, there. His,
1: his own uh, collaboration with Glenn Hoddle, of course, "Diamond Light." Oh yeah. yeah, which is actually a really great song in its genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't have it myself, <laughs> but I'm always happy to listen to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was of its of its time, and Papan, as you say, who'd Uh, got them the goal with which they drew at San Siro.
3: Yeah. Wonderful pass from Waddle in that goal as well. Check it out. It's on my Twitter feed.
1: Oh, lovely. Okay, so this is in the 1991 season. And then, uh, having drawn 1-1 with Marseille at San Siro, Milan go to France for the second leg. The Velodrome, yeah. And this is where things really get interesting because Marseille take the lead uh, with that uh, goal from Chris Waddle, 75th minute. And with two minutes left,
2: what happens to us? Great sportsmanship from, uh, from Milan. One of the um, four floodlights at the velodrome um, breaks down. You can still see very clearly. I can still remember watching that game on television. You can still see the pitch very clearly. And the Milanese, they go like, we can't continue. This game has to be abandoned.
1: So the referee actually suspends the game yeah. because you, you have to. The floodlights start to go. And when 15 minutes later they said, okay, we can go on with the game, Milan refused. Yeah, Adriano
3: Galliani, you hear him on sort of sideline mics picking up, going, via, via, let's get gone, let's let's go, get off the pitch.
1: So um, they claim that the television crews had disrupted the match by going out onto the field mm. and presumably were hoping for the game to be awarded to them yeah. as opposed to... That's
2: yes, pretty much they were trying everything to get that game. Uh, in <laughs> I mean, tournament. come
1: on, Jules, you were rooting
3: for them at that stage. You were like, come oh, on, yeah, yes! Yeah, yeah. I was
2: like, this would be wonderful if Marseille lost that one in that manner. But they didn't. And in they fairness, didn't. Marseille over the two legs were by far the better side. So.
1: so UEFA declared it a forfeit and awarded the victory to Marseille. They went on to the final, got beaten by Red Star on penalties in what is possibly the dullest European final yeah, ever played.
2: But you want a story on the semi-final against Spartak Moscow? Okay. The first game away in Russia. Uh, Banatapi just before the game goes up in the uh, press box.
1: So Bernard Tappé is the president.
2: He's the president of Marseille. Since and he's
1: a politician and playboy yeah. and actor. So he
2: takes over in 1986. Right. At that time, the last uh, French title that Marseille won was in 76. Uh-huh. And that season, they finished 15th. And in the space of... So between 86 and, and 91, let's say, he's transformed that team completely by investing a lot of his, you know, his own money at the time. Obviously, there's no FFP, nothing. Giving them uh, an injection. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but let's just start with the legal stuff. Okay. Just yeah. buying Reising players. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like Chris Waddle. You're going to love that story. Like Chris Waddle and, yeah. you know, Deschamps. Desai, all of that. Uh, building great teams, not just the 91, but then rebuilding a new team for 93. But in 91, the 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 story goes that he goes up in the press box in Moscow before the game starts he sits next to this uh, the local Marseille newspaper guy who he knows very well and he takes a piece of paper and he writes something on the piece of paper folds the piece of paper gives it to the um, the Marseille correspondent guy and he said just just read it at the end of the game, right? Marseille won 3-1 away in Moscow. Oh. And at the end of the game, the journalist opened a piece of paper and he said 3-1. Oh, I, thought it's the, I thought it was going to be the name of... That is
1: amazing. thought it was going to be the name of three players that had let them down. <laughs> no, the no,
2: thing. because... No, 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 wait. You know why? Because then Tapi would reveal later yeah. that the players whose socks were the lowest. So the no ones who didn't way. have their socks all the way up to the knees yeah. were the ones that were... Allegedly, because still nothing has been proven. But, so why, no,
1: okay, but why would he go and reveal that to a, a, a journalist?
2: Because that's, <laughs> that's, but that care. was Benatapi for you. He was right. bragging all his life. He'd been bragging. He started as a salesman, television. He right. could sell anything to anyone. And right. that's how he became so big. I mean, the Adidas deal was mental.
1: So that's right. In 1990, he acquires Adidas, Rafa, and, and, and owns them for, what, three years, I think?
2: Yeah, something like that. Turn, turn them around, to be fair. But... Mm and then sell them. And then it's still very complicated. And to this day, the wholesale of Adidas hasn't been to Robert with refus at the time, has still not been really cleared, but he basically needs to pay back 400 million euros. Right, which he was he, awarded the, from in the, the French first government. Instance, yeah. Extraordinary.
1: Yeah. Extraordinary. Well, we'll get onto that perhaps later on, but uh, way back in the early 90s, UEFA have banned Milan from European competition for a year because of their refusal to play on at the Velodrome. But two years later... With the European Cup, now the Champions League. Milan make it to the first ever final. And who should they meet but Marseille? Extraordinary route that you had to take to get to the the final in those days. Because you had a first knockout round and then a second knockout round. And then you went into a group stage with two uh, sets of four teams. And the winners of those two groups met in the final. There was no semi-finals or
2: anything. Extraordinary. Weird, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, and it was open to new countries as well, like Ukraine and Estonia. So you had f- the first one, for example, Marseille beat Glenn Torren mm-hmm. from Ireland, 8-0 on aggregate. I think Milan beat Ljubljana or something like yeah, that, like Ljubljana. 6 or 7-0 as well. Uh, that was the, basically the first one was given to you. Then you had what could be like a, a, a toughest uh, last 16 round, if you want, where Barcelona, who won the mm. the European Cup in 92, were knocked out, for example, by CSKA and Moscow. And, yeah, it was it was a weird format, but a format that suited Marseille because, I guess, in the group stage, they didn't need to do as much as, right. I mean, corruption if they wanted to, for example, to, right. to qualify. So they won
1: three of their group games. Yeah, and
2: drew three, other three mm. against Rangers, Bruges, and CSKA Moscow.
1: Right, whereas Milan won all six of their games and looked absolutely... Yeah, I mean, fire. this is if we go back to '91 just briefly. Mm. It was a feeling that
3: Saki had run that team into the ground, um, that they couldn't keep playing the intense football that he wanted them to play, and they'd come to an end of a cycle. Capello comes in, and the team feels better. You know, if you look at how they started that season under Capello '92 '93, they have that five four against Pescara. Mm. They have the seven three. Against Fiorentina, yeah. they have the five-three against Lazio. Um, it gets to March, and they are fifty-eight games unbeaten in the league, which remains uh, a record. Yeah. So they were they were seen as, as as the best team in the world, one of the best teams of all time. And right. in the meantime, Marseille's top scorer, best player, Jean-Pierre Papin, had, had moved to to Milan.
1: Yeah, they'd picked him up. He was only on the bench for the final, though. Yeah, he was, yeah. Uh, but that remarkable Rossoneri lineup, uh, going with Van Basten and Massaro. Hullet, I think, was injured at the time. Well, it was
3: left in the stands right? Um, because him and Capella no longer seemed eye to eye. And one of the, the reasons why this game um, is significant in the history of, of Milan is that it's the last one that the three Dutchmen, it's Ooh. the end of the era of the three Dutchmen because Hullet goes on loan to Sampdoria. Right. It's Van Basten's last game for the club because a few weeks later he'll have ankle surgery, surgery which yeah. will prove to be catastrophic. And Frank Rijkaard moves to Ajax. So mm. this is the end.
2: Boli dans the Marcel de Desailly au second poteau. Bute! But, Bute de Boli! But, but de, de Basile Boli sur ce corner. Eh bien, c'est le moment
1: idéal.
3: The corner that leads to the goal right. shouldn't have been given. Um And the referee, what happened to him a few years later?
0: Oh, Kurt Rüdisberger. He was banned for life. Yeah, yeah he was nice. banned for life. He was banned because he approached uh, FC Basel, I think, and said, uh, what do you think about (laughs) 100,000 francs for the Russian referee? Was it Grasshoppers? Okay. Well, he approached another Swiss club Mm. and he said, uh, what do you think about 100,000 Swiss francs for this Russian referee who's refereeing your game? Uh Um, That would be the price for you at least not getting... I think he, he phrased it as disadvantageous decisions against you. And um, he was reported and uh, then was banned for life after a lengthy investigation. He later also tried to buy lots of tickets for you 2008 using fake names and addresses and was again done for that. <laughs>
1: Extraordinary. And he romantic- was the man in charge. He was the man, yeah. Yeah, he was that man that in black out. in this game. Yeah, All yeah, right. We'll-
2: for halftime, the corner, 44th minute. Mm. And the romantic story is that Basil Boli, who scored the header, had been injured, had bad knees, all f- for weeks before the final. Was not sure about playing the final. Played the final, but after 40 minutes, asked to come off. He said, "I can't continue. I can't run anymore." And Raymond Goethals, the Belgian manager who was the Marseille manager uh, at the time, comes to see him on the touchline and said, "Tapi says you can't come off. I'm sorry. Tapi doesn't want you to come up. You can't come off." And four minutes later, he jumps somehow and heads the ball in. Remarkable. Yeah.
1: Well, they had great doctors, of course. at must say. So, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was a phenomenal uh, team. We should talk about, it, about one or two other uh, of the other players they had because you had Didier
2: Deschamps
1: anchoring things in the waterboy.
2: Yeah, the waterboy. You also Mata had Vassai.
1: Fabien Barthez That was his first season, I think. Yeah, that was a young he still had hair. Yeah,
2: mm. yeah, he came from Toulouse and was outstanding. Wow. He had a
3: similar kind of cut to you in 92-93 James. No, that's the very kind true. Of, that kind of yeah, 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 yeah. curtain Fading kind hair. of thing. What? <laughs> <laughs> I a have you not seen? No, it's just kind of like yeah. a little tufty kind no, of thing going on.
1: Tufty, definitely, yeah.
2: definitely, right? And you have Frank Sosé who you know, who then went to play in Bergamo, no, Atalanta. Oh, yeah, yeah. He played for Atalanta and then, obviously, yeah, to in Scotland. But who had an incredible Champions League that season? Him and Boxe carried that team mm. through those those group stages game against Rangers. He scored. He also scored three goals against CSKA Moscow, hat trick from a uh, you know from midfield. He was a fantastic player that season for them, and and they they had a, a really really strong team.
1: Right. Well, at this point, any Rangers fans listening are thinking, yeah, congratulations, Marseille. But I've got one or two questions about what what happened next, because. It wasn't long before scandal overtook yeah. uh, this performance, this team, and particularly Bernatapi.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was a few suspicions before, and and Arsene Wenger, for example, when he was at Monaco uh, before going to Japan and before coming to Arsenal, always had that suspicion that his own players at Monaco had been like bought. Got to yeah, got mm. to by Tapia and Marseille to the point that we think two of the titles that Marseille won between eighty nine and ninety two, so they won four in a row, right. where maybe. Really dodgy to the point that they, okay. s- they got them, they stole them from Monaco. So, if you want,
1: so they were stripped of the ninety-three, the nineteen ninety-three yes, title for because they, it was proven that they paid Valencian players to throw a match. You yeah. were coached by
2: Borre Primorac. <laughs>
1: Arsene Wenger's future assistant, <laughs>
2: Right. So <Interesting>. Arsene Wenger <laughs> saved Borough Primorac's life basically because after this no one would ever employ him again. Uh-huh. He was the Valenciennes coach at the time doing a good job not, or at least not doing a bad job. And
1: they were facing uh, Marseille about six days before yeah. the European Cup final. Tapi tells one of his players who used to be teammates with some exactly, of their team yeah, get yeah. in touch and see what it'll take to make sure they don't give us a hard time exactly. before our big match
2: so three players uh, Jacques Glassman the center back and the captain Georges uh, Buruchaga, the World Cup winner with Argentina and Christophe Robert so two forwards and one defender uh, were brought to, to, to sort of play lightly the game to make sure that no Marseille players will get injured before the Champions League final um, we found Two hundred and fifty thousand francs at the time, so forty thousand euros, kind of thing, or uh-huh. pounds, buried in the garden under the grass of the garden of Christophe Robert's parents or in-laws, uh, and then they all basically confessed that the money came from Jean-Jacques Edly, the Marseille midfielder, on orders from Bernard Tapie right. via Jean-Pierre who who is now uh, an agent, an agent, one. but was for for many years Tapie's number two, if you want him and another guy called. Mark Frattani, who had worked with Tapi for thirty years, and who's the one who confessed it all and said that all those games were corrupt. He didn't say it was mass corruption. He said mm-hmm. it was a targeted corruption. So the idea was not to buy every single game and every single opposition team. Oh, okay, well that's all right. But just just a few. That's why right. we think that some of the Monaco players maybe had been bought and. If you watch again, some of those games within Marseille and Monaco, a few of them never jump on corners. Keep or, your eye on their socks as well. And on their socks, yeah. maybe. <laughs> uh, uh, and then suddenly this Valencian game, there's another one that Fratelli said one of the PhD Marseille. Where himself went to see the referee of the game the following day to give him the cash. Wow! So there's a few, there's a few of those. So, but certainly the Valenciennes won.
1: So this is in Liga and they're stripped of the title. Benatapi is untouchable because he's got parliamentary immunity for yeah. this, but he'll come across a Herd immunity. later <laughs> Herd yeah. immunity. But in the Champions League, whilst they retain their European title, there are many questions about some of the other matches there. The CSKA Moscow game, the they lost nil. six nil. Yeah, the Velodrome, and there's a lot of suggestions of something in the water that night. Yes. And I think Rangers, as I mentioned, have uh, a lot of uh, doubts and misgivings about, about their game. Yeah,
2: so Fratani says that what they used to do is they used to always leave uh, bottles of water already ready in the away dressing room at the Velodrome for the, for the opposition team. But that in those bottles of water that looked brand new and unopened, <laughs> via a little syringe, they would just inject loads of, of drugs and stuff for the players to be, you know, not at their best. Basically, and that has been on for years and years. And Fratani, I mean, Tapi says, you know, Fratani can name names, and this is not the truth, but Fratani says, I, I did it myself on order from Bernard Tapi. So, I mean, you believe who you want to believe it's either Tapi or his right hand man, but right. one of them is lying for sure. One okay. of the two is lying.
1: And then, additionally, in Jean-Jacques Edli's uh, autobiography, he, he basically writes that they all doped for the final against Milan. Yeah. The only time I agreed to take a doping product, writes Jean-Jacques, was the 93 Champions League final. We all took a series of injections. And I felt different during the game as my physique responded differently under strain. The only player who refused to take part was Aunt Rudy. Yeah, yeah. Aunt Rudy Vola.
2: Rudy Vola didn't want mm. to. And if you even now, if you ask some players, even like Deschamps, they don't, they don't really answer straight away. Mm. Uh, Luckily, he, he got clear of all those. that
1: stuff and went to Juventus shortly after.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where well, methods were very, very different. Very but different. it was the idea, and and for Tapi, it was the same that to win. You could do anything, and that was very right. much that was very much his mojo in business, in politics, in sports. It was that, Everyone that had was the a price. Idea. Yeah, that was the idea that there was no there was nothing that you could not do to win.
1: Right, and there's nothing that Bernard Tapia could not do. You mentioned it before: president, play by politician, actor, even pop star. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Yep, that's him. A great video, by the way, uh, collaborating with the Doc Gineco.
2: Yeah, Doc Gineco, the Cibola-Vie. French rapper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, is Tapi to repeat one of my favorite uh, expression, as you know, is yeah. Paris-born and bred kids, <laughs> <laughs> and he made Marseille so good and so big. Right. And credit to him. Yeah. And now he's 77. <laughs> yeah. He's 77. He's beaten skin cancer. Right. Throat cancer, mm. stomach cancer, and right. now has just revealed that he's got lung cancer. Oh wow! But the guy isn't just an invincible, unbeatable. So he was awarded four hundred million from
1: what euros?
2: From yeah, euros now from
1: the French government over yeah. the sale of Adidas, which was it was basically when he got into trouble, legal trouble that was then sold off. By lawyers to... Uh, yeah, by
2: a bank, by his bank, Crédit Lyonnais. He okay. said, I give you Adidas and you sell it on my behalf, basically. Right. Then he, he so why did the French
1: government owe him 400 because
2: million? Because it was, it was an, um, a bank that the French government had interest in, or like shares in. Okay. And Tapie always said that they basically did him over the amount they sold it for. Right. But it turned out, in recent years, so it, that, that took a very long time, a long investigation with twist all the time, that Tapie knew exactly Pretty much what they were doing, and that's why the whole sentence was reversed, and that he has to pay back that money now because he seems that he was part of the whole dodgy no way. dodgy deal in I the first place, that. which is just. I mean so, but back
1: then in like 93 he was famous as a, a local politician in Marseille but then became a national he was a minister wasn't he yeah he was
2: ministre de la ville yeah right in two that, governments like urban affairs yeah urban affairs yeah okay. urban minister
1: and then by the mid 90s he goes bankrupt because he's been thrown out of uh, parliament because yeah. of all of this he takes to the stage uh, he plays the lead in One Flow Over the Cuckoo's Nest
2: But f- before that he goes oh, to yeah. jail as well let's not right. forget that for the Valenciennes you know corruption game oh he does go to jail he f- so he goes First, you get a year, a year in jail, and a year suspended. Then right. he appeals, and that's reduced to eight months. He will do six months, but for six months he went to jail. I thought he went to jail for corruption and witness tampering. Was that for the same case? Yeah, yeah, same for oh, the same okay, case. Right. Yeah, and okay. there's all there's loads of other cases in terms of transfers and other games and all of that that he got away with. Right. I always think
3: that I mean it's maybe different now with American ownership, but when you see those Amazon series about you know going behind the scenes at a wow. football club. If I was a producer, I'd be like, I'd love to do a kind of behind-the-scenes mm. thing there.
2: But even, even Tapie himself, he deserves a movie about him. He deserves more books because he's, he's really one of those characters that we will never see again in, in football, like you, you know, like you had in Italy and, and you know those kind of, of, of characters that I don't think we will ever see again. Mm. Also that year, mm-hmm. famous, 92-93, for
0: Stuttgart against Leeds. That was the first round but you had to survive to get into the second round and then the third round was the uh, the round robin with the four teams right. the double semi-final and Stuttgart had won the first game in Stuttgart 3-0 and they were 4-1 behind at Leeds in the second leg going through on away goals when Christoph Daum the same manager who would later Just, fall foul yeah, yeah. for
1: a, in his hair <laughs>
0: which yeah. <laughs> couldn't happen to just anyone, but it did to him, Yeah, he brought on a fourth foreigner by mistake. Oh. Back then you could only play three, three foreigners, foreigners yeah. plus two foreigners who'd been assimilated. effectively assimilated, yeah. yes. And so did Leeds uh,
1: get it overturned as a result?
0: Well, Leeds, the interesting thing is that usually the punishment would have been a 3-0 win. mm for the opposition mm. team but of course in this case it would have been enough so what UEFA did is they ordered a third game uh, on neutral ground in Barcelona in Barcelona yeah
1: which leads one brilliant I forgot that crazy about that. how yeah. different football was in those yeah. days for a start
2: they actually used to play
1: it we should yeah. just do like, <laughs> we, should,
3: we should do European years yeah, well
0: let's do that
2: next week we should ninety three ninety four. 93-94 what happened then <laughs> exactly, I'll tell you next week. Okay, it's right. my, just for Marcel, okay. the champion is one Nine. of my
0: all time favorite performances for the is? team final. in the final. Milan Barcelona? 93 94. Milan Barcelona. We were talking in,
2: about it only yesterday the on this League very podcast. Yeah. With two different clubs for not bad. Uncle Marcel. Mm.
0: Probably the best final performance, Well at least until the Barcelonas yeah, mm, 20 definitely. years later.
1: Let's not give away too much about that very special season. We'll do that next time around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, listen, I hope you uh, enjoyed today, and uh, we'll join us for that in a week's time. We, of course, are going to be back on Thursday. Uh, it's going to be a busy show. Uh, we've got the commentary quiz, Jack Lang with all sorts of stuff there, and as I mentioned, flicks and kicks. Do watch Green Street and give us your thoughts. Uh, but for now, many, many thanks to Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle, and Julian Laurent. Thank you, James. Stay well, everybody. We'll be back soon enough. Have a great time till then, listener. Cheerio.
4: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand-new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees
0: Media.